The reading this evening is taken from Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 to 13. So that's Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 to 13. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst. Nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, and some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, last year, as a family, we was going to be fought as well. It's uh, our last non-working Easter our last Eastbourne moving down to Hove, we'll take a holiday. So uh, we booked up to, to go home to the uh, the best Channel Island uh, that is Guernsey. 
uh, it was all set to go. It was looking wonderful. We, we got the, the boat booked. We're going to go down the, in the car, down to pool, uh, and set sail and have just under two weeks there. But then the pandemic hit. That plan foils. We thought, uh, well, we, we've got the summer booked at least. We booked at the same time. It was a, uh, a sale in January. We thought this, this thing can't go on that long, can it? Summer comes. Pandemic's still here. A plan foiled again. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had plans that have gone, well, I had this or that booked, but then the pandemic hit. Just those words we say that the, our plans have been foiled, our intentions ruined. It's thrown us off course. But what about the Lord? Can anything throw him off course? I was chatting to a, a curate friend recently. He, he said he was chatting to one of his church members and uh, he said, oh, how, how do you think God fits into all of this? And the church member said, well, I, I think God's having the same problems that we are at the moment. And in a gentle way, he said, I, I don't think he is. <laughs> I mean, he's the Lord God Almighty. He, he's the one who made heaven and earth. He, he's not stopped by anything. His plans are not foiled. And today, as we look at Isaiah, we're going to see how the Lord will keep his promise. He will fulfill his word. His plans will not be foiled. Uh, But the problem in front of us is not a pandemic. It's his own people. It's their blindness and hard-heartedness. Their blindness to spiritual realities. And so the question that's raised is, well... What are you going to do, Lord? How are you going to fulfill your promise? How are you going to bring your promise to your people to bless them and bring them home? Well, let's pray as we start. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful book. Uh, And Lord, we pray that as we study it now this evening, uh, our eyes will be taken up to you, to have a greater vision of you, a greater confidence in you, and a greater longing for your word to go forth. Amen. You see, if we were to read the, the book of Isaiah, and let's be honest, it's not a short read, um, 66 chapters. Uh, but if we read it we, time and time again, we'd see the big problem was God's people are blind. Uh, it starts at this right at the beginning, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Hear me, you, uh, hear me, you heavens, listen earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. They've rebelled against me. My people have rebelled against me. And this is his people Israel is talking about, let alone the rest of the world. And throughout Isaiah, that's the story time and time again. The people are blind. They've not kept their, their covenant with God. Now, a covenant is a, is a special promise that you make. You say, well... Uh, I'll do this, this and this, and then you do something for me. So I say, I promise to wash your car and you give me a Mars bar. Um, but it also is a flip side to that because it says, well, if I don't do that, then, then I'll, something else will happen. So uh, if I don't wash your car, I'll give you a Mars bar. And that's a silly example, isn't it? But uh, here it says, in short, if you, people Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, 
then you'll receive God's blessing, my blessing, as promised. But if you don't, then you'll face my judgment, which in reality for Israel was Assyria. Now, when Assyria comes, it's not like simply being taken by new management. Nothing changes except that the name above the door. Assyria were brutal. Brutal. They could do the most barbaric things imaginable with absolutely no second thought. But that's what happened, isn't it? God's judgment came. But at the same time in Isaiah, as, as he's pronouncing judgment on Israel, on his people, there's always the notion of hope. The message of hope. That even though they haven't kept their end of the bargain, he still will. He still will. He'll still deliver on his promise to, de- to deliver his people, to bless them, to bring them into rest and peace. But how? How is this going to happen? Uh, this is where we move into the second part of Isaiah in, in, from chapter 40 onwards. And at first we think it will be through Israel. So chapter 41, verse 8 and 9, the Lord calls Israel his servant. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I'd chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Uh, this job of bringing the people back it is given to Israel. They're to be that the light to the nations. Uh, they're commissioned in sort of chapter 42 saying this is what you should do. But they fail. Chapter 48, verse 1. Uh, Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah, you who take oath to the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. Instead of clinging to the Lord, instead of declaring his name to the nations, they cling to idols from foreign lands. They, they boast about how great they are. They're blind. And the Lord's plan is in tatters. His plan is foiled. So how is he going to accomplish his purpose? He'll send another servant. The way the Lord accomplishes his purpose is to send his servant. He would accomplish it himself. And that's where we end up in chapter 49. To see what this servant will do, what Israel could not. The servant for all people, verses 1 to 7. The servant for all people. It's hard. I was trying to think of a, a piece of news that was heard around the world at the same time. The best example I came up with was the, the end of World War II. Uh, people sort of at that time heard that the fighting finished, that there's joy, there's peace. But we know that falls down, don't we? Because Japan didn't actually surrender until August. And there was still that Japanese soldier who fought for 30 years, not believing the war had finished. But here, at the start of Isaiah 49, 
we get an announcement that is going around the world. 49 verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. That the news of the servant is going everywhere. And what is it that we hear? Well, the second half of verse 1. We hear that this servant was known before birth. In other words, this servant was set apart before birth, not set apart in adulthood or adolescence or childhood, not even set apart at birth, but set apart before birth. And when we read that his, uh, his name was spoken of, spoken my name, it, it brings alongside royal connotations. We might say this servant was set apart at birth to be king. This servant will do what Israel could not do. This servant will do what Israel should have done. Verse 2, he'll teach people. He'll show the way. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. And just at the right time, this servant will appear. Just like an arrow from the quiver that is pulled, released and let go. The servant will come at just the right moment. The servant will come to do what Israel could not. Which is why in verse 3, he is referred to as Israel. It's as if uh, all of Israel, of God's people, is bound up in this servant uh, so that what happens to this servant will happen to God's people. What he achieves, they will achieve. And then his focus of this servant is not on himself. He's not looking upon his greatness. No, verses three and four, he's looking to God. He's looking to him. End of verse four, my reward is with God. He's all about him. But this servant is going to do something amazing. Verse five. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord and God has been my strength. God's people, Israel, are blind. They've rejected God, abandoned him. But this servant's going to bring them back. He's going to restore them. He's going to bring hope and healing and life. They who are blind and hard-hearted will be brought back again. But he's not finished there. He's not finished there. Verse 6 It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It is too small a thing for you simply to be the savior of the Jews. You're going to be the savior of the world. All be made right through this servant. No wonder all the world should hear about it. Uh, This servant is for them, not just for those out there. It's for them. It's for the world. It's for us. It's for you. For me. 
this servant is the one that all will be made right. This servant is the one who will bring blessing, hope, restoration. And even though this servant may look like a failure, verse 7, that he was despised and abhorred by the nations, actually, one day, all will see who this servant really is. All will see, the world will see what he's come to do. This is a servant for the world. This is God's plan. But then secondly, in verses 8 to 13, the servant has come to save. The servant has come to save. As we said before, the servant has come to do what Israel could not. The servant will bring blessing, freedom and light. Uh, Which is why verse 9 mirrors up to chapter 2 and verse 7. Chapter 42, sorry, verse 7. Chapter 2, 47 says, uh, To open eyes to the blind, to free captives from prison, to release in the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And now verse 9, to say to the captives, come out. To those in darkness, be free. They'll be fed by the, beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. He's going to bring sight to the blind, freedom to captives, and bring release and light to darkness. But even more than that, verses 11 and 12 say, I will turn my mountains into roads and my highways be raised up, verse 11. He's going to do all he can to turn mountains or flatten mountains to raise up roads and gather people from all over the world, all four corners, to bring them home. A pathway, a route, a route 66, straight home. The servant will do that, not just for some people, his people, but for the world. The servant will do that for for those who are blind, for those that are captive, even those that are his enemies. So just as verse 1, we heard, uh, the whole world needs to hear this. So again now in verse 13, we read, Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. This really is news to shout about. The servant is not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And this servant's mission is to bless and bring home. The Lord is going to send a servant to do what Israel could not. Now, throughout this whole sermon, there's been one thing missing. Maybe a step that you've been mentally making in your head. But something I've been careful not to say. Who is this servant? We know the first servant in these chapters is Israel. Well, who's it here? Is it the same? No. Who is this servant? Who's the servant who deserves to be, whose birth deserves to be told to the whole world? Uh, Who's the servant who was king before birth? Uh, Who's the servant whose words are like a sharpened sword? 
Uh, Who's the servant who appeared at just the right time? Uh, Who's the servant who is focused not on self, but on God's glory? Uh, Who's the servant who came not just for Israel, but for the whole world? Uh, Who's the servant who'll be mocked and scorned, but one day exalted and glorified for all to see? Who is the servant who will bring sight to the blind and set captives free? Who is the servant who will make a highway for the Lord and gather all people to himself? Who is the servant who will bring his home? Who is this servant? You know his name. It's a name that brings joy and hope and peace. It's a name that casts out fear and brings comfort to the broken. Who is this servant? It is Jesus. It's Jesus, our King. He is the servant the Lord will send. He is the servant who will accomplish what Israel could not. He is the one who flattens mountains, raises up roads and gathers all people from all over the world to himself. He is the one who will do that for you and for me. There is nothing in this world that can foil the Lord's plans. No pandemic, no blindness of people, nothing, not one thing. Because the Lord has sent his servant. And he has accomplished it for us. And next week we remember that particularly at Easter. And over the coming weeks, we're meeting in here to keep pondering this servant, to keep pondering how this servant would do that as we look at Isaiah 52 and 53. So please come back. Please come back and reflect more upon how this servant will accomplish this. But as we draw to a close this evening, I just want to linger over some of these words. Because it could be easy for us to smile and nod and to think, Ben, I knew you were going to say that all along. (laughs) To mentally assent, but to leave unchanged. Because in these verses, we see that the plan of the eternal father to send his eternal son to, to bring a people to himself. That we see his goodness to restore a people who are blind. He says, I know you can't do it, so I'll do it for you. In these verses, we see the Lord say, it is too small a thing for me to send my son just for Israel. I'm going to make him a light to the world. And now we can look at these verses, the other side of Easter. And we can know with absolute certainty that indeed Christ came for the world. Jesus is the world's Messiah. But if that's true, do we think it's too small a thing that he could save our friends and family? Do we believe it's possible? Uh, Please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that that if we had more faith or or if we believe more, then the Lord will do more. Uh, The power is in the one our faith is in, not not in the, the faith itself. No, I'm simply saying, do we believe the Lord is capable of doing more than we can ask or imagine? An American pastor, Kevin DeYoung, has said this. He said, I hope you have some plans and dreams for the gospel where you want something to happen in the world. It is possible those plans for the gospel are too self-centered, too, too self-centered, too impatient or too naive. But it is not possible 
for them to be too big. Do you want your family to believe in Christ? He can do that. Do you want your work? He can do that. Do you want this city? He can do that. But anything less than the ends of the earth is too small a thing. When I read that quote, I was challenged to think of what are my gospel plans? Do I think the Lord is hindered? Do I think his plans might be foiled? My prayers too small? When I hear that, I wonder if I ought to spread the net further. Be bold in the way I engage in social media. Posting, commenting, relationally engaging. Be adventurous in asking people to read the Bible. Because I don't know what the Lord's doing. He'd be doing more than I could ask or imagine. Today's Palm Sunday, the day we remember Jesus going into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, knowing in a week's time he would die on a cross. On Friday, he would go to the cross for you and for me to restore us, to bring us home. He did what we could not. Then on Sunday, the servant rose again from the dead and showed that there is not one thing that can hold him back. Not one thing that can foil the plan. Not even death. And so if death could not stop him, then how can 20th century comfortable hove stop him? It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the people of Hove. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your plans cannot be foiled. Thank you that you did what your people could not. Thank you that you did that for us on our behalf to bring us home to bring your salvation to the world. And we thank you that salvation plan continues today, marching forward. And we pray that you would just give us a a gospel confidence to know your plans cannot be foiled. And even if we experience rejection and heartache, it will not stop your gospel going forward. Help us to pray. Help us to act, to know that it is too small a thing for your gospel to stay hidden and to long for your gospel to go forth, even into hope. Amen.